Well, again, good morning and welcome to Church in the Mall. Welcome home. We are delighted to just have you today. And what a great Sunday you picked to be here as we are kicking off our new sermon series, which is entitled The Stories That Shape Us. You know, God has made a way into humanity by not just creating it, but then sending his very own son into the midst of it. And therefore, we are now invited to know this God who has come to know us. And so each of us has a story to share about our life, our, our faith, our hopes, our dreams, and the ways in which God interacts with us. And today we are so blessed to have a friend of mine, Brian Walsh, come and share. So Brian, I'm going to call you up, uh, make your way on up here. And as he does, uh, I want to share with you a scripture verse that will tie in today's message. And then I'd like to pray with you, and then we're going to turn it over to Brian. If you have your Bibles, feel free to uh, flip over to Proverbs 3, beginning in verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't rely on your own intelligence. Know him in all your paths, and he will keep your ways straight. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. My friends, let us pray. Lord Jesus, as we have gathered here this morning, uh, we come expectant. To not just simply hear a message, but to hear insight into the way in which you interact with humanity. And Father, I give great thanks for Brian and his family. Father, I thank you for the way that you've touched his own heart in his life and the journey that you've taken him on. And God, I know that your scripture remains true, especially when you say that you will finish what you started in us. And so God, truly, we are getting a glimpse into Brian's life, and I know that you're not finished with him yet, but truly the wisdom and insight he has to share with us today truly can encourage and equip us to be faithful people in this world. Father, bless him now as he speaks. Bless us as we listen and allow our hearts and minds to be attuned to you and what you might share. In Jesus' name, amen. This is my friend Brian Walsh, and funny enough, he lives a few blocks down from me. And we've gotten to know each other kind of through some odd, odd ways, through my sister and her husband. And uh, it's been such a joy to get to sit down and talk with him and hear some of his story of his life. And so he has prepared a message to share with us today, and my hope and prayer is that it will encourage you the same way it encouraged me uh, when he sat down and shared it um, over coffee a few weeks ago. So my friends, please welcome Brian Walsh. Hey, everybody. Can you hear me okay? All right. So I am not used to microphones and such. A little bit different, but um, yeah, so... I'm Brian Walsh, like you said, and uh, usually when I go to these things, I always kind of think, who is this guy? Why is he talking to me? Um, but did want to share my story. Kevin and I, we've had a lot of, uh, like you said, sort of crossing of paths, even though we weren't doing it at the same time. And one of them is an experience with uh, Kevin Wardle and transformational prayer. And so using that kind of as an introduction to uh, our conversation around this, um, we started talking about the stories of us and uh, sharing those things. I'm really happy I get to go first because you guys have nothing to compare this to. Um, so it's gonna be the best one you've seen so far. So that's awesome. Um, so this is me. Uh, I have three daughters, they're over across the way. I grew up in Massachusetts, went to the Naval Academy, joined the Navy. Um, went to go see the world and wound up never being on a ship. So kind of not what I expected, but I was like Goose from Top Gun, as, as my wife always says. So I used to be at the back seater of a Navy plane, this weird looking guy with the wings folding up and the Frisbee on the back. But I also 
spent a lot of my time doing really interesting assignments with the DEA in Central America and with the Special Forces in Afghanistan. So those are the things I want to talk about. Um, primarily that these experiences shape who we are. They shape our perceptions of the world. Um, and then as we grow, our experiences either help us or hinder us in, in how, we, how we interact with people and how we interact with God. So my path has been very wandering and has left me with a lot of unanswered questions, which uh, has brought me here. So talking about Afghanistan, I think there's one word that really sums it up well. So just, just a little background. I'm a huge history nerd. I am a firm believer in you can't understand what's going on unless you have the context to, to frame the conversation. So I'm going to spend a little time talking about the basics of Afghanistan that I feel like a lot of people actually don't know. Um, so if I could sum that up in one word, it's dichotomy. So my experience in Afghanistan was the most beautiful country you've ever seen in your life. It, you go to the mountains and it's prettier than any mountain in Colorado. It's full of adventure, you can travel everywhere, it's uh, very rugged and rustic, but it's also a land of danger and desperation. The poppy seed, in my opinion, or the poppy plant, really represents Afghanistan in a nutshell. In the spring, entire mountainsides would be covered in this beautiful red flower, but that beauty also comes with the, the dangerous undertones. It's also what goes into making 65% of the world's opium. So really, that dichotomy continues to extend to all the people within Afghanistan. It was first founded in 1747. Um, so actually, it's older than the United States, and it's seen a lot of transition. Unlike America, where since its founding, it's been like subtle moves, Afghanistan has seen very drastic swings from side to side. It's been part of empires. It's thwarted invasions countless times. Uh, it's seen many forms of government, including democracy. But geographically, it's a really hard place to live, really hard place to govern. And so one of the things that I always think is really interesting that the borders of Afghanistan really mean more to Americans than they do to Afghans. So what is Afghanistan and where is it? Um, as you can tell, it's a landlocked country. It's about the size of Texas, um, full of beautiful mountains and tons of barren wasteland. My experience there was the winters would be negative 50 degrees, the summers would be 120 degrees. And so you think about that the population who doesn't have cool North Face jackets, they're dealing with 170 degree swing season to season. Many of their homes don't even have doors. The population, for the most part, is clustered in various parts around the country. It's not like here where you have Heath, you have Newark, you have Granville, but it's all pretty consistent. Uh, you can only grow crops on 12% of the land. The nation as a whole only has 17,000 miles of paved roads. So again, comparing that to Texas, Texas has 40 times that number of paved roads. Ohio, which is far smaller than Afghanistan, is 15 times that number. There are 37 million people. 99.7 of them are Muslim. Half the population are farmers. The rest tend to work in very manual labor industries, like brick making, mining. 
annual income's about $2,000. Your odds of living past 55 are very slim. Um, I always thought it was really interesting with the folks I would talk to. You would think that they would be really old, and then you'd find out that they're like 25. But just very hard life, very weathered appearance. Infant mortality is over 10%. It's the worst in the world. Only one in four girls can read, and about half of the men. So I worked in rural Afghanistan, which is a lot different from what you're, you've been seeing on the news lately. Um, you know, it's not, not a major city, very, very desolate, very destitute. Uh, most people really lived in poverty. They truly struggled just to survive, just to find the next meal. Uh, there are two types of people, those who benefited from our presence in Afghanistan and those who actively tried to seek our withdrawal from there. No matter what side they were on, they all hated us. Um, they, they did not want us there. They kind of just wanted to go about their business and didn't want to be uh, punched in the middle. So alliances would often swing from day to day. Very difficult environment to work in. So at the bottom of the screen, that's a US soldier with their night vision goggles. Their perception of us was usually the men with green eyes. And I don't know if you can see it very well, but night vision goggles leave kind of like a gray or green haze around your eyes. And since we primarily operated that night, that's what they called us. On the flip side, you have no less than 14 major terrorist organizations that operate within the country. They use the lawless lands of Afghanistan that are pretty much ungovernable by any country to support their operations. It produces 63% of the world's opium supply, which is also the primary source of funding for groups like Al-Qaeda and the Haqqani Network. Um, the governments including the Taliban, really can't do a whole lot because they can't govern the area. They're just not a legitimate government enough to control the borders. And then the government that does exist, always very difficult to work with. As much as 90% of what we would do, so if we were spending money to build a bridge, as much as 90% of that money would have to go to pay bribes before we could actually build the bridge. So in the middle of this dichotomy was me. Um, I was in the Navy working for a joint group. I never wore a uniform. I was very much not a traditional, um, traditional person in my role. Um, I, nobody ever knew who I worked for. I really leveraged that depending on who I was speaking to. My job was to hunt down the really, really bad guys discover their networks, and uh, take care of them. So you can figure out what that means. Um, usually these were the people who were doing the IEDs. These were the people who were, uh, for some reason, untouchable by traditional forces. So um, I loved the job. And this is the part where I really struggled with. I got to use the coolest gadgets. I got to hunt the hardest prey there is. Um, I got to really try to dissect human behavior and then use it against them. And it really left a lasting impression. Um, 
when I was leaving, I was offered a permanent job there, and that really never happens. And uh, I kind of laughed it off saying, I don't know if this is really cool or really messed up that I'm that good at that job. And so I took a lot of pride in knowing that I was keeping Americans safe. I was taking out the people who were supplying the IEDs or doing the funding or other nefarious activities. But it also left me with a sense of dread because you know, we all have, uh, you know, obviously, the business. So my role ultimately was a really simple formula. Travel, learn the culture, then learn how to explore it for our needs. Um, and uh, usually it was fairly diabolical. Now here's the problem. We mentioned the two different sides of Afghanistan. Like I said, the population very young. They've pretty much been at war since 1978 when the democracy was overthrown. Um, most Afghans, like I say, just struggling to survive. The terrorists would come in, force their way into the neighborhoods, and then we would come in after the terrorists and force our way into the neighborhoods right after. The average Joe is pretty much just stuck in the middle with no resources, no ability to change or control that situation. Children are taught jihad from a very young age. They read from Korans that the, mod that the Taliban have modified to serve their purposes. And I would try to work with the locals who are in these no-win situations, bringing things like cell phones, water, electricity, uh, whatever they needed. And then I would, you know, on the surface, it seems like a really great thing, you know, humanitarian mission. But in reality, I was doing all that as bait. My job was to get the terrorists to come to that neighborhood, make it more attractive so that we could go after them. So I usually worked alone. It's not really a, a business that has a lot of teams. Very individualistic, which is also a big challenge. When I came back from Afghanistan, totally different experiences from other people in the military. Could not really relate with the folks who you know, just sail the carrier around the southern tip of South America. So, with all that in mind, I decided to get out of the military and do something a little more peaceful, which obviously was nuclear weapons. Um, <laughs> after a while, I kind of realized that uh, I should probably reevaluate some of my life priorities. Um, and uh, so, ultimately, all of the activities I had done had led to shame. And so we all know thou shall not kill. We all know the verses that you will be judged for your actions. And these carried a heavy weight with me. Um, my tasks were not clean. They were not friendly. They were not neat. They were not godly. Um, but at the same time, the Bible is also full of dichotomy. It gave exemptions for soldiers who were pursuing legitimate campaigns against enemies. And so what you start to do, though, is you try to figure out ways where you can hide your shame. You try to normalize it, say, eh, yeah, well, whatever, it was the time, it was the, search, it was the situation. You distract yourself. Um, I can't tell you how many uh, different things I've done. I'm in grad school, I've, I've taken on a bunch of different jobs, I do community projects. You blame others, whether, you know, it's not my fault we're in Afghanistan, they attacked us, or 
I was actually supposed to go to Iraq and they changed my flight the day prior and sent me to Afghanistan instead. Um, or you can hide it. Uh, one of my biggest concerns was, and this is, this is the first time I've ever spoken publicly about this, but boy, what are people gonna think if they know you're pretty much an assassin? Um, that's gonna really leave an impression on folks. Uh, probably not a positive one. And then all of this, we do all these things basically to, to protect ourselves from what we've done. So shame obviously has paid a price. You know, going back to Adam and Eve, they first donned clothes after they discovered shame. Uh, sin has caused shame and has created the disconnect with God. So this is a dysfunction. Um, and this is where ultimately shame leads to insecurity in relationships. It leads you to not be able to have either strong relationships with people it keeps you distant. It keeps you hiding who you are, what you've done. Um, and this doesn't just go with people, but it also goes with God as well. So that's really where we start to tie into the whole Terry Wardle situation. If your transmission breaks, even if you're a mechanic, you're not gonna go fix that yourself. If you have cancer, you need a team of people who are gonna diagnose you, take scans, heal you, make sure it's not coming back. So shame is this dysfunctional behavior that leads to, leads to wounds that you have to heal. God is compassionate and wants to heal his people. And what I really love is that this third bullet down that this is love, not that we are loved to God, but that we, that we loved us and send his son atoning his sacrifices for our sins. Whether we love God or not, God loves us. And we have to remember that. So what Terry Wardle really focuses on is what is that cancer? And so he says every person has core longings. Those longings are understanding, safety, purpose, significance, and belonging. And so dysfunctions stand in the way of achieving these core longings and achieving a strong relationship with God. And so I decided to do a, a Terry Wardle-based class at a Heritage Church in Westerville and sought to reconcile these core longings with the dis dysfunction that stood in my way. Um, so he does this by defining a structure and defining a, an approach to do it. But the biggest thing is you're never gonna get there if you don't invest the time and effort into doing it. Everybody's broken, everybody has issues. It's not some big secret, um, but if, until you can fess up to them, admit them, invest the time into dealing with it, you're never gonna get to where you want to be. Um, and that's, that's really it, that's all I got. God loves you.